Well, good morning. We've got uh, a blood drive today, and so I hope that you have prayed about it, got over your phobias, and have signed up or planning on giving blood today. And so from 1 to 5, we're going to be over at the link next door and uh, doing that. So I think I'm down for 2 o'clock. So if you hear any howling around that time, you'll know that I'm in the chair. So uh, it's all good. Uh, so we appreciate uh, those who have been involved in coordinating this for us and, and getting it ready, and Brittany uh, and others that have, have helped out. So uh, we're looking forward to that today. Uh, we have a fifth Sunday this month, and so as our tradition has been, we do uh, usually a potluck lunch and then a, a, an afternoon devotional. This month, what we're going to do is we want to have a Friends Day. And so our fifth Sunday this month, we want to encourage everyone to invite a friend because we are praying that we do not have weather like this weekend and the last weekend in April because we want to have a cookout on the front lawn. And so we're going to do our afternoon on the front lawn. We'll have some activities and stuff that the kids can enjoy and then a good time together. And then that's also going to be the Sunday that we have our LTC, our Leadership Training for Christ awards and presentations. And so you'll also be able to to watch our, our summer's kids do their puppet skit that they did at LTC. We've got two of our young men who are going to be giving their sermons that they did for LTC. And so it's going to be a fun day. It'll be an opportunity, uh, maybe an entry opportunity, to invite someone who might otherwise um, not come with you. Maybe they would come on that day, a Friends Day. So we're gonna, you're going to hear more about that. There are some invitations that are on the back tables, and I encourage you to take one. If each one invite one, then uh, I, I think we would have a good crowd on that day. So you're going to be hearing about that uh, for most of the month. And uh, also getting ready for our, our LTC kids and celebrating with them uh, in their accomplishments for the convention that they just completed. So let me ask you this. Did you know that if you have one of these in your pocket, a smartphone, you have within your possession more technology than NASA had when they put a man on the moon? You think about that. You do. It's incredible, isn't it? The, the, the accomplishments, the, the progress that we have made since that time. I remember when... Um, AT&T, which I guess was Southwestern Bell at the time, they had this thing called call notes that they came out with. And I remember when, when we had call notes and I had my own telephone line in the house. I had my own phone number. I was like a, a, a teenager, a young teenager. I had my own phone number. I was something. And I had call notes. And so call notes was an answering machine Without a machine, it was like an answering service. It was the first kind of concept of something in the cloud because if you called your phone number and no one answered, it would kick over to your call notes, your answering service, your voicemail, if you will. And so somebody would, would uh, for an extra fee, that you could uh, have this call waiting. And so if you were on a call and somebody called you and you had call waiting, it wouldn't go to your voicemail first. It would beep. You would hear a beep. And so you could decide, am I going to switch over to this other call or am I just going to let it you know, drop into my, my call notes, into my voicemail there? And then if, if you wanted to talk, you could push a button and you would receive that phone call. You could transfer calls over there. This was revolutionary. This was revolutionary. You, know, you could actually talk to one person while somebody else was on hold. This was a, this was a big deal a few decades ago. But see, with that, you were guaranteed to never have a busy signal. 
And that was one of the, 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 the things that attracted people to it. Is, oh, somebody can always get a hold of me. Nowadays, we are running from that, aren't we? But then it was a big deal. They'll never have a busy signal. I don't want somebody... I want to talk to them. If they call me, I want them to be able to get a hold of me. So we, we, we had all these things that we invented. And so, where could this lead? <laughs> where could this go? We wondered, you know, this is Star Trek stuff that happened a few decades ago. We talked last week about when you call God, you never get voicemail. When you call out to God, you never get His voicemail. He never bumps you to His call notes. He always answers your prayer. It may not always be the answer you want. It may not be right away. But God never sends you to voicemail. He always hears our prayers. And it may not be what we expect. But God always answers our call. And yet, it doesn't seem to always be the same for us, does it? When God calls us. And too often, God calls us to join His mission. And we answer that with, I'm sorry, the person you were calling is unable to you know, take your call right now. And so that's kind of how we live our lives sometimes. Is God gives us an opportunity and we're like, well, let me send you the voicemail and I'll get back with you when I get around to it. And that is not the way the church should be because the truth is every disciple has a call waiting. Every disciple does. It's not that Jesus gave a mission to His church. Jesus did not build His church and say, now I need to give them something to do. Jesus built the church for His mission, which has always been to reclaim the world for God. That's always been the purpose. And so any movement of God is going to demand movement from His church. And Acts is a story of a church on the move. And so in Acts chapter 13, we have the genesis of the exodus, if you will, the beginning of this movement, this dispersion of the church out of their local community into the world around them. And God chose the church at Antioch to be the, the, to launch this first truly multi-ethnic church that would go out and launch this kingdom movement. And so we're in Acts chapter 13 and verse 2. We read, While they were serving the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which, to which I have called them. And then after they had fasted and prayed and placed their hands on them, they sent them off. Now notice here, they were called and they were sent. And so really this movement of God to reach the world did not start in Antioch. It really started in Bethlehem. Think about this. Forty-four times in the New Testament, Jesus is mentioned as having been sent by God. And so God reaches us through this vertical sending so that we can do this horizontal going. He can send us horizontally to the rest of the world. So there's this vertical. God sends us and we go. And so we know the Great Commission in Matthew, go into all the world and make disciples. And this is what it looks like. John 20 and verse 21, Jesus said to them, just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And because saved people are sent people. Saved people go. And so the book of Acts is an indictment against this settled apathetic discipleship because Jesus reaches everyone where they are. He always has and always will. But He does not let anyone stay there because He has this come follow me call that He presents to them also. And doesn't that imply that discipleship is on the move? 
When Jesus says, come follow me, doesn't that mean we have to do something? We have to move. We have to go. And so it seems that the leadership in Antioch, as we read about here in Acts, that they were not surprised by this call. It didn't catch them off guard. The Holy Spirit said, set these men apart for the work I have called them to do. And nobody, somebody said here, we can't afford to do it. It's not in the budget. So we can't do this. We got, we got, you want us to send our two best preachers here. These apostles, you want us to send these guys clear across the world. We need them here. We got people here. And besides, someone's got to pay for this. We got enough people in Antioch to worry about. They didn't say any of that because they weren't losing Paul and Barnabas. They weren't losing anything. They were just redeploying them. For the greater mission. And Jesus wants to reign in every heart, but He does not reign in the heart that does not have a heart for the rest of the world. Because that's where Jesus' heart is. And that world is not always oceans away. Sometimes it's across the vast landscape of our yard. Sometimes it's next door. Sometimes it's across the street. Sometimes it's in the next cubicle. And so it's not their work either. We read, set them apart for the work I have called them to do. It's God's work. This is God's work, God's direction. So in verse 4, Barnabas and Saul, sent out by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And so Bible correspondence courses are God's work. And prison ministry is God's work. And a blood drive is God's work because disciples are called to join the work, the mission of God to reach the hearts of mankind with the news of Jesus. And how we reach people is as different as the difference in the people we're trying to reach. How we reach different people is as different as the people we are trying to reach. But the message is always the same. And the sender is always God. And so answering the call to move doesn't mean the going is going to be easy. For sure not. Because Satan is always on call. He doesn't miss a call either. And he's going to try to stop us. In verse 6, when they had crossed over the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bargesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. And the proconsul summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. But the magician, Elamus, for that is the way his name is translated, he opposed them, trying to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at him. Can you imagine the apostle Paul, a man who had reached the pinnacle of Jewish hierarchy, who was called face-to-face by Jesus Christ on a road to Damascus, spoke face-to-face with the Lord, went through the conversion that he went through, is now standing face-to-face with this man, and you look directly into his eyes, the eyes of the Apostle Paul. And he says, You, who are full of all deceit and all wrongdoing, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Is this not the same message that was delivered to Paul on that road to Damascus here? And now Paul delivers the same message to someone else. And he says, now look, the hand of the Lord is against you and you will be blind, unable to see the sun for a time. 
And immediately mistiness and darkness came over him, and he went around seeking people to lead him by the hand. And then when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed because he was greatly astounded at the teaching about the Lord. Notice, it was the teaching about the Lord. It was the Word of God that brought him to Jesus. That's what convicted and convinced him here. But before he could receive the light, someone had to dispel that darkness. And so the call of Jesus is not contained by demonic opposition. And when we're living on mission, by mission of God, and moving with the mission of God, we're going to face the enemy. We're going to come face to face with him. Satan is not going to willingly surrender any territory that he has illegitimately claimed as his own. He's not going to give it up without a fight. And missionaries around the world understand this. And we, if, if we don't see ourselves as missionaries, we're going to be caught off guard when this happens to us and may already have happened in some ways. And so to move for God is inevitably to move against Satan. And so anytime you hear teaching that diminishes Jesus, that minimizes His deity, that attacks His all-sufficiency, that attacks His uniqueness, as the way to God, when you hear that and are confronted with that, you are facing and dealing with the work of demons. Now before you raise your eyebrows, look at Ephesians 6 and verse 12. For our struggle, Paul says, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. It's real. But the good news is that Jesus' death and His resurrection has limited what demons can do. He has limited the demonic realm. And when Jesus first sent His disciples out, we read in Luke chapter 10 and verse 17, "...then the seventy-two whom He sent returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in Your name." And that word submit is a military term that references a chain of command. And so this is not a level playing field that we're battling on. It is not. They are under Jesus' command. And it's not that Jesus is directing them, but it's that Jesus has restricted them. And so what Jesus is building is significant. But anything significant always comes with challenges. And so in verse 13 of Acts 13, Paul Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos, and came to Perga and Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. And moving on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. Now this may seem inconsequential in the big picture here, but I want you to consider the backstory that's going on. John Mark went home. He left the mission. Was he homesick? We don't know exactly, but there's kind of some clues here. Was he homesick? Was the the grind of the travel too much for this young man? Maybe the new cultures and and the new foods? Maybe it was too much for him. And so he left. Perhaps Mark got turned off by the Gentile mission. By taking this message to all these other kinds of people in these other places. Because notice, he went back where? To Jerusalem. He went back home. And when they returned from this trip... Paul and Barnabas returned from this trip. Paul wrote a letter that we know as Galatians. He wrote this letter to the church because the region he had traveled through was called Galatia. And so Paul wrote this letter because there were some legalistic Jews, some who were just so entrenched 
and the law of Moses, they could not consider the law of Christ. Some legalistic Jews from Jerusalem went through Galatia after Paul and Barnabas left, went to the same people in the same places and started telling Christians, you're not a real Christian unless you're circumcised like the Jews are. And they started discounting their faith and their Christianity. So how did Jerusalem now know what Paul and Barnabas were doing an ocean away in Galatia? Maybe John Mark was talking about it. Maybe that's how they found out. But something infuriated Paul, and it caused a rift in their relationship. And so on the next mission trip, when he and Barnabas were ready to sit out again, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, and Paul said, I ain't doing it. He says, not going to happen. And they split up. They parted company. And so later, they would reconcile. But the point is, when you live on mission for God, and you step out of your comfort zone where we're called to be and to live most of the time when we are walking in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, there's going to be relational tension. There's going to be that. And there will be conflict. And missionaries will tell you that this happens. Because there are relational challenges. And there are physical challenges. Also, when you are living on mission and faithfulness to God. And so in verse 14, moving on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch. And normally, when Paul traveled through a particular area, a populace, he would stop and he would preach. He would spend some time there and preach. Why did he pass through Pamphylia? He kept going. He didn't stop here. It seems kind of unusual. Well, in Galatians 4, the letter he wrote, in verse 13, he tells them, but you know it was because of a physical illness that I first proclaimed the Gospel to you. And so scholars think that Paul might have contracted malaria and he had to go to a higher elevation in the region of Galatia to kind of recover, to allow his body to heal. So because of an illness, he ended up in an area he wasn't planning to go to, preaching and teaching a people he had not planned to preach and teach to. How about that? Mission work has physical challenges. Movement has challenges. But God's mission will not be bound by our physical limitations. And so praying for our missionaries is important. And praying for their unity is important. And praying for their marriages is important. And praying for their physical health is important. Because living on mission comes with great joy, but it also comes with tears. It does. And if you're living on mission to speak to as many people as possible, in as many places as possible, in as many different ways as you possibly can about Jesus. You are a missionary. You are on mission for God. And you've already realized this pleasure and pain. So they make it to Pisidian Antioch. And on the next Sabbath, we read in verse 44, almost almost a whole city assembled together to hear the Word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And they began to contradict what Paul was saying by reviling him. And so, the word of the Lord was spreading through the entire region. But the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high social standing and the prominent men of the city. They got in the heads of the money. And that's where the power was. And so, they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and threw them out of their region. And this is normal. In a very weird way, because whenever Paul goes into a city, it seems he's either going to be dragged out or put into prison. Either dragged out of the city, stoned, or or put in prison for a while. And so when he left, he left behind this, this division of people, two distinct groups. Those who welcomed the gospel of Jesus 
and those who rejected it. Everywhere he went, he split the line right down the middle. And people had to choose. They weren't choosing Paul. They were choosing Christ. And it's not because Paul preached division. It's because he preached Jesus. He preached Jesus. And when the Gospel is faithfully declared, people will divide themselves. People will separate. And that first mission trip in Luke that we read about, when Jesus sent His disciples out, He was preparing them for this. And He told them, look, in some towns you're going to go into and people are going to welcome you. It's going to be a great experience for you. And then others, people are going to run you off. They're going to run you out of town. Which is when He said, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. And so He told them about this. And this is what it means. This is, this is it in action here. It's what it looks like. This message of His coming, of His authority, of His deity, this message will divide people. And so His first coming caused division. And His second coming, is going to cause division. It's going to be a divisive action. The Gospel's always gotten mixed reviews because it's not limited by difficult people and places. And so whether it's received or not, the ripples of this Gospel are unstoppable. And we are evidence of that today. And So when you consider all the consequences, all the potential consequences of living on mission in the Gospel of Jesus Christ, why wouldn't you want to just stay put? I mean, you read about this and you're like, I just want to bide my time. I'm just going to hang low and, and try not to cause any you know, ripples myself. And maybe I can get to eternity you know, without too many scars. Why not just count down to eternity? Well, because a disciple of Jesus cannot stay where they are if they truly believe that Jesus did not stay where He was. Paul preached a sermon and he talks about this history of Israel and how everything pointed to this Messiah whose name was Jesus. And so in chapter 13 and verse 27, for the people who live in Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. And they fulfilled the sayings of the prophets that are read every Sabbath by condemning Him. And though they found no basis for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have Him executed. And when they had accomplished everything that was written about Him, they took Him down from the cross and placed Him in a tomb. But God raised Him from the dead. And for many days He appeared to those who had accompanied Him from Galilee to Jerusalem. And these are now His witnesses to the people. And we proclaim to you the good news about the promise to our ancestors that this promise God has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus as also it was written in the second psalm. You are my son, and today I have fathered you. And so I, I get a lot of calls. I don't know about y'all. I get a lot of calls. Sometimes I get hooked up in that robocall loop. And so my phone rings a lot, whether it's at the office or whether it's the cell phone. And sometimes I don't want to take that call. <laughs> None of y'all, of course. But sometimes a call comes in and I'm like, I don't want to take this. I just want, I want to slide my finger over and just reject it. But let me tell you something. If I get a call from a man who has come back from the grave, I'm going to take that call. I'm going to answer that call. This call is beyond limits. This call is a death-defying event. And our faith is not based on philosophy. It's not based on just kind of... It's not based on anything. It's based on history. Did you know that? Not philosophy, history. Yes, it's based on faith, but we got history on our side also. Paul preached this sermon just about... 15 years after Jesus' resurrection. And he said to people who saw... These people he was talking to, he said, you know people who saw Jesus. Go investigate it yourself. 
You know people. You've heard of people. You've met people, he's telling them, who saw Jesus. You go investigate it. And there are conclusive reasons to believe in Christianity. So he says, you do your homework. You go do your homework and investigate for yourselves. But so many people would rather believe a lie than believe the truth. And the single best reason to believe the growth of this Christianity is that a resurrection has happened. The single best reason that this movement of God exploded like it did is because the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty and the God who called His Son out of a tomb has called His church to take that same hope to a hopeless world. But the One whom God raised up, He says, did not experience decay. Therefore let it be known to you, brothers, that through this One, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by this One, everyone who believes is justified from everything from which the law of Moses could not justify you. So if Jesus can be freed from death, then Jesus can free you from your sins. No religious system can set you free. Not then and not now. Death could not hold Him and your sins cannot keep you from Him. And so you talk about weirdness of humanity here. Vladimir Lenin, you know, kind of recognized as the, uh, the father of communism, perhaps the father of Russia, he was embalmed in 1946 when he died. And his body is still on display at the Kremlin today. You can go there and you can look at the body of Lenin. They, they have got, they, you talk about remarkable. 92 years ago, when he died, he looks just like this. And so if you go to Russia, you can also read an inscription that's on his casket. And it says, He was the greatest leader of all peoples, of all countries, of all time. He was Lord of the new humanity. He was Savior of the world. Here's one big problem with that. He's dead. He's dead. i got a problem with that because Lenin is dead. I need a Savior who can do something about the grave. And I believe that Jesus has clearly distinguished Himself from anyone who claims to speak for God by coming out of the tomb. That kind of sets Him apart in my eyes. And so God is calling some of you right now to receive this good news. And when you are baptized into Christ, into His death, into His burial, into His resurrection, and you accept this good news, you will be forgiven of all of your sins. So will you be in the camp of the people who receive this good news? And some of us need to do that today. Some of us need to receive this today. And the rest of us, we need to share this today. Are you answering the call? When I worked for MIMS, especially as I moved up into management, I knew that really I never had a day off. Either the pager, we had pagers back then, either the pager or, or the phone eventually. And even though I had an office at a central headquarters, anywhere I was in our service area, which at that time was like 3,000 square miles of central Arkansas, anywhere my foot was, I was on duty. If something happened, I was expected to do something about it, to, to, to act, to move into action. And so if I'm out running errands and someone had an emergency, I couldn't just you know, run away or hide or you know, turn my back on that while another crew was responding, let somebody else deal with it. 
I'm off duty. I wasn't. I was not. And many times throughout my career, things happened on my day off that I had to take care of. A disciple of Jesus is always on call because God is always at work. And we might see this building as our headquarters that we come to a few times a week. But our service area is wherever we are because we have been called to be sent. And our God works without boundaries. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are. I am. We are. Wherever the temple of God's Spirit is, His work is in progress. And so every day we get a lot of calls. And every day we've got to decide, are we going to take that call? Which one are we going to answer first? Who are we going to put on hold? We, our hobbies call us. We get calls from our job. We, our friends call. Politics call. Economics calls. And what happens is when we start answering all these other calls, instead of living for a calling, we settle for a living. Just a static existence, a static life, seeing how soon we can pay off the mortgage. How soon, we can, you know, how soon we can put off a mortgage, how long we can put off a funeral. That becomes our goals. And God is calling us to something bigger. He's calling us to something harder, yeah, but something so much better. Have you answered that call? I was showing Jackson of some film a while back of Dick Butkus, number 51 here, a Hall of Fame linebacker for the Chicago Bears back a few years ago. And so he was known as the hardest hitter in football. I think probably to this day, uh, at least those who, who played with him would still tell you, he's the hardest hitter and, and, and likely to leave you in a, in a serious state of affairs. The running back here on the other side of the picture is Floyd Little. And Floyd was an All-American who played for Syracuse and professionally he played for the Denver Broncos. And one day these, these guys met. Floyd wasn't a big guy, but his reputation was if you hit him, he gets right back up. He bounces up quick. You can't keep Floyd down. And so one game Floyd met Butkus as Floyd had the ball and tried to cross the line of defense. He met Dick Butkus head on there and Dick Butkus laid Floyd out on the field there. And Floyd admits in interviews this was the hardest hit he had ever received. But he wasn't going to let Dick know that that was the case. And so Floyd jumped back up and he looked at, at Butkus and he said, is that all you got? And Floyd ran to the huddle. And Butkus followed him to the huddle. And he said, Floyd, are you all right? He said, yeah, I'm all right. So he looked at him and he said, Floyd, are you, are you sure you're all right? He said, yes, I'm all right. Why do you keep asking me if I'm all right? He said, because Floyd, you're in the wrong huddle. Are you in the wrong huddle? Are you in the wrong huddle? Are you where you're supposed to be? Can you live on mission with God where you are right now in your life? Because every disciple has a call waiting. And every disciple is on call. On call in your community, on call in your neighborhood, on call at your job, on call at school. Can you live on mission for God? If so, then do so. And if not, Move. We've got to move because you and I as disciples of Christ are not meant for a limited life, but we, we allow our lives to be limited by sin. Sin that we harbor, sin that we carry around like a pet, sin that we will not release to God because we're afraid that life is going to have to change when we change. And it will. It will. 
it will change into the glorious life, the Spirit of God. And that's what God calls us to. So where are you today? What huddle are you in? Will you repent? Will you turn back to God? Ask His forgiveness and then receive it? What huddle are you in? Will you confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as your Lord and Savior, and be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of His Spirit this morning and the promise of eternal life? What huddle are you in? God has called you to a mission in your life where you are with the tools and the opportunities He's given you. Will you live for Him today? If we can help you in any way, encourage you, pray for you in your decision with Christ, we're going to stand now and sing a song. Will you come?